Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. And we are in Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. And my goodness, uh, how are we with following up the tour de force that was chapter 2 last week, man? You know, other than the fact that God actually put this out there, I don't know how we're going to do it. For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, uh, for the one or two of you who could possibly have stumbled onto this just blindly for Ephesians chapter 3, I invite you, we invite you, go back and listen to chapters 1 and 2. It will grow you up in your theology and and might bring some changes in how you think about salvation and God's sovereignty. And certainly, it'll cause you to ponder the very fact that God is the chooser. Wow. So Ephesians 2, that that was one of my favorite chapters. If if not, maybe favorite single chapter of the Bible. That's, That's a great chapter. No, definitely in my top five. Well, here we are tonight in Ephesians 3. So Paul... As he was writing this letter, he didn't have chapter breaks or even verse breaks like we have today. So he was just writing one big letter. And so we have chapter 3 tonight. So we are going to be pondering a mystery tonight. Because Paul is going to bring in this idea of mystery. And so we will start with a big chunk here, 1 to 6. Before that, let me open us up in prayer. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for our listeners who are pondering Ephesians along with us. And I pray for our conversation tonight. I'm so thankful for Professor D to journey alongside me in the, in this time. And I just pray, Lord, that our conversation would not only give you glory, but would bring out what you want to teach us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I promised, one to six, here we go. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed to his holy prophets, apostles and prophets, by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Well, my goodness. So, Professor D., how did Paul see himself regarding all of this? Well, first of all, he sees himself as a prisoner of Jesus. And there's actually two things at work here. A, uh, we are all in prison. We're all under something or someone. We're we're under the control of someone or something. And B, in, in his particular case, literally, he is a prisoner uh, he is literally under arrest because of being a witness to, of Jesus to the Gentiles. Wow. So he, was, he also viewed himself as a herald of the message that both the Jews and Gentiles are equal heirs. And, you know, and I think a good rendition in some Bibles is co-heirs. co-heirs. In other words, there's not like, uh, you know, well, we got different levels of heirs. No, equal heirs, co-heirs to God's salvation promise. And once again, that, that off-repeated phrase, in Jesus. In Jesus. And I can't stress that enough. So Paul's a prisoner, and, and Paul, do, have we known that yet in, in Ephesians? Has he mentioned that yet? Or is this new information for his readers? 
I'm trying to think if in the first chapter, did he mention it or not? I don't remember. I know that we did our work beforehand, so right? we mentioned it often. We, we knew about it. Yeah, but, but I don't, you know, come to think of it, I don't think he mentioned it in Ephesians 1. I'll take a quick look. But if we knew about it, it's because of, of Ephesians 3, where he reminds us, hey, yeah. I'm in prison writing this to you. And he's assuming that they're going to receive this letter and they're going to ponder these things. And he, he does not reveal it in chapter one. He does one. not. No. All right. So, yeah. This so, some new, new, intel. new intel here. He's, he's giving his readers uh, an idea of where he's at as he writes this. And he definitely sees himself with humility here. He's mm-hmm. not he, he's not saying, I'm the man. And, look, and listen to me. Here I am. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, but on behalf of you Gentiles. So, mm-hmm. he, he's out here. I guess Saul of Tarsus might have just not taken Jesus at his word. He could have stayed back in Jerusalem and yeah. lived the high life. And here he is on the ministry road and this ministry has led him to prison. And we continue. How did Paul refer to the timing of all this when God chooses to reveal matters? Because he says here, how does he say it? He didn't make it known before, but yeah. what's the timing like here? Well, simply put, God has a timetable for everything he does. As, as for the mystery of the Gentiles as co-heirs and it, and it not being made known to previous generation. It's, it's, a, it's a very common MO of God that we've seen play out in various scripture. In his infinite wisdom, even though God promises to save all people, even as early as Genesis chapter 3, really, that, the promise of the Messiah was for, for the human race, not just the Jewish nation. He unfolds it in a very slow, layered, progressive manner. In fact, that part of the mystery, that part of the plan, isn't in full bloom till, Jesus, till shortly after Jesus' victory through the early years of the early Christian church. Uh, the important thing here re- really isn't the mystery or the plan, but it, it's revelation or its fulfillment. Right. And here, maybe the way to, to think about it, why does God do anything? Why, yeah. did, why does God choose? And the simple answer is, well, this is what he's chosen to do, but why? why, why would, I don't mean to be a, a, a four-year-old here, but why would... Why would God do anything? I mean, at the end of the day, what would be God's purpose in, in choosing a certain time in, in history to reveal this mystery? Because this wasn't something that was yeah. a surprise to God. No. Like God saying, you know, let's let's now add Gentiles to the mix. Yeah. Like you said, this has been the plan. So why would God do anything? And I, and I got to say, you correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. God does anything because it gives him glory. That's the, that's That's really what it comes down to. And we know that from a 1 Corinthians 10.31 standpoint, for whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of yeah. God. So if, if any in any one of our contexts, we exist to give God glory, then we have to imagine that why God chooses to do anything yeah. is for his glory. It's kind of like a very famous verse, be still and know that I am God in Psalm 46.10. And then it continues, I will be exalted, God says. Yes. I'll be exalted in the nations and exalted in Jacob. And so God's being exalted is his grand purpose, that God is somehow through human history, mm-hmm. as things unfold, good, bad, however, they're going to give God glory and it's going to exalt him. So the timing of all this, Paul is just letting them know the timing. Yeah. Hey, this wasn't talked about before, but it's being talked about now. Yeah. And that's because God chooses to reveal when God chooses to reveal. Yeah. And it kind of goes a little bit with the ending of last, uh, last week's chapter, you know, verses 11 onward of Ephesians 2 where he talks about that, you know, there was a time where the Gentiles were furthest away from God until God decided to change that situation. And, it's, it, you know, they were, were Gentiles saved prior, before? Yeah. We, again, we talked about Ruth and Rahab and, and possibly Nebuchadnezzar. And there were Gentiles that were saved. But God now 
you know, he, he's, he, he's swinging the door wide open, is, mm. as it were. Amen. So I'll read verse 6 again, because he, he, he explains the mystery itself in verse 6. I'll just, I'll just repeat mm-hmm. that. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, or co-heirs, as it were, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, Mick, why was this the mystery? What's the significance of, of this very fact? I think in, in the strictest sense, it had to do with, with God's story and that, that narrative that, that Israel re- would reject her Messiah. You know, God foretold about this. And in doing so, again, like I, I stated earlier, this, this flung the doors wide open for God to focus now his attention on, on the Gentiles, which he meant to save along anyways. This was the, the plan that he, he wrote that story. That's the way he wrote it. Um, a key thing here is that that door of salvation has never been closed to either group, and I, and I want that to be fully understood. God was always ready to save anybody, anytime, you know. Um, and you know, even today, God is still saving Jews, you know. And um, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's not like God has closed the door on the Jews, you know. And just like it's never been closed on the Gentiles, it's not even closed on the Jews. As to the Gentiles being saved in mass nowadays, again, that has to do that since Jesus' death on the cross. We've been living in the last days, uh, and so God shifted gears in saving Gentiles by, by lifting the cloud of mystery. Mm-hmm. I think a very similar thing, when, when I mentioned about this is kind of a typical MO of God, you know, when you think about when Jesus was walking in, in the last chapter of Luke with the guys on the road of Emmaus, you know, he, he didn't let them see who he was. Right. He clouded their, their ability to recognize him, and he does that a lot because he has a timing for all these things. I wonder, I wonder in this timing how how this would have. This gave me a reminder of, of the previous letter we studied mm-hmm. in Galatians. Yeah, in the book of Galatians, you had a, a Gentile church who was yeah. being pressured by a, a Jewish influence, mm-hmm. and the big dichotomy was things of the flesh or things of the spirit. And I wonder, is there a Galatians connection here? How might how might the Galatians? I realize this is written to yes. the Ephesians. Yes. But I'm just I'm intentionally tying it in. How might the Galatians have read this idea of you're now co-heirs? I think you know. I think to your point is everything has to be connected to Galatians, honestly, because uh, I think every Pauline epistle builds on what he 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 wrote uh, in 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 Galatians. Whatever he wrote to the Galatians, he he fully fleshes it out in, in the other epistles. So, so key connection points in these particular few verses are, for example, in terms of Gentiles, grace and promise. These are things that he hit on in the book of Galatians. Mm. You know, and in Galatians, Paul writes that that the Gentiles don't need to become Jews because they're, and why? Because here he's developing it because they're equally co-heirs. He, here he he tries to emphasize the, the equal dignity and the unity of both sets of believers. A contemporary application of this would be something along the line that it doesn't matter if you were religious or not when you came to Christ, or it doesn't matter what religion, what brand of Christianity you came from to Christ, or if you were good or bad or whatever. Every Christian is equally, and again, that phrase again, in Christ, as, as any other believer. Once you're in Christ, equal salvation. Equal dignity of salvation, and even like, and I'll give an example. Even in First Corinthians, where Paul's dealing with with the, with carnal and spiritual Christians, they're they're both treated as equals in relation to the fact that God is their Father. Wow. Just salvation itself, they're equals. Yeah, we remember the the verse in Galatians where and I can't remember the citation, 
but the Spirit is crying out in their hearts, Abba, mm-hmm. Father, reminding mm-hmm. them that they're, they're members of the same family. And mm-hmm. so we get this, this members of the same body here, yeah. that, that this, the Holy Spirit is crying out in these Gentiles' mm-hmm. hearts, you belong to Abba, Father. You're His. Yeah. So you don't need to do these external fleshly circumcised things. You don't need to add anything to your salvation expansion pack. Yeah. This is great stuff. Yeah, that, you're referring to Galatians 4, 6. There. 4, 6. There you go. Yeah. Nice job there. So, yeah, that's the mystery. And and we're so glad that this mystery is revealed because, honestly, as Gentiles, we're in. Yeah. And we were part of God's plan from the beginning. And, and this is now revealed. And this and is wonderful. Not only are we in, but we don't have to do anything to get in. Nothing special, yeah. Nothing, nothing extraordinary. In fact, as we learned last week, we don't do anything anyway. Exactly. <laughs> that we, we were the dead there, there corpse. It's like there, it's by, gra- by grace you've been saved. If it's God's choice anyway. It, but the nice thing is we don't have to have these follow-up rituals. Right, right, right. You right. know, and that, that's that's key. <laughs> Amen. Especially that one. <laughs> that's right. We don't want to follow up with that one. So we have that was the mystery. So we continue. Paul gets kind of personal here in 7 to 13. And so I'll read it here. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. Again, this is Paul. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness with a- and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So let's start here. How did Paul humbly view himself here? Paul's fully aware of what God had saved him from. And and as, as one receiving the very words of God, one being entrusted, he, he couldn't help but, but how could you not see or, or feel your shortcomings in light of that? I mean, I, I feel my shortcomings are coming to God in prayer and reading the Bible. And he's actually getting the very oracles of God. And on a personal note, even in preparing for this conversation, I just got you know to kind of a you know hot moments of our argument with my with my kids, you know, and and and, and, I, and I knew I had to do this. So there, there's a sense where I'm thinking, you know, and and I start thinking to myself, it's like, how can I even go into the Word right now? I mean, seriously, or or how can I even teach others? And and mind you, I'm not receiving God's very oracles on the same level that Paul did, you know, with the Holy Spirit flawlessly telling Paul what to write. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm unworthy and I'm aware of, of my own sin doing, you know, what we're doing right here, right now, this is, this is, this is an honor that neither of us, and, and, and I know that I can't speak for you in the fullest sense, but I can speak for you from the biblical sense. We're not, we're not worthy of this. And yet here we are, when we get to do this, how could Paul not help but feel like really unworthy? Yeah, when you consider... When you consider what Paul, in fact, don't even say you, what, what Paul considered his mm. past. He considered how horrible his past was, and that past, it meant something to him, so that when he viewed himself, it did nothing but humble him. Mm-hmm. And so it, he's saying he's the least of the saints. Mm-hmm. This is Paul. This mm-hmm. is the Paul. I mean, how much of the Bible did this guy pen? I mean, this is the guy that writes <laughs> in Corinthians that he was abnormally born as an apostle. Ah, that's right. 
And I just I love his humility. Yeah. And and it, it teaches all of us. Yeah. So what specific ministry did Paul did God give this Paul? Well, the spiritual baton that was passed from Peter to Paul to preach to the salvation, the gospel, the good news to, to the Gentiles. So there was that moment in Acts where Paul got rejected one final time. Mm-hmm. And he, he played the Jewish rabbi and shook the dust off the off the off his feet or off the, his garment. Mm-hmm. He fluffed out the corners of his garment and says, "I'm going to the Gentiles yeah. now. And this is it." Yeah. And this is it. And so here he is, and he's now commissioned. And 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 I believe it was the the, the he had a vision of Jesus. You're gonna you're gonna take this gospel and like the risen exalted mm-hmm. Lord Jesus. Okay. And you're gonna take this gospel and you're gonna be. I I, I don't. I, I wish I had looked it up. I I don't want to paraphrase Jesus' words there, but this is the plan of Jesus. He's going to go take the gospel yeah. out. This is yeah. not some, well, maybe I think I'll just go to the, the Gentiles now. Yeah. No, this is, the mystery is going to be unfolded. It was hidden before in yeah. God. And so now, so Paul has been called to a very specific ministry. And in verse 11 here, it speaks of an eternal purpose. What? So this was according, so, so okay, so Gentiles is to bring light to everyone, the plan of the mystery for ages hidden in God. Okay, who created all things? Verse 10, so that through the through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly heavenly places. Well, we got we got to stop it for one second. I know mm-hmm. we didn't I didn't plan on this one, but there's a there is a spiritual dimension. So, so so when Paul earlier on talks about mm-hmm. they're seated in the heavenlies, yeah, and he talks about you have this heavenly blessing or this 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 kind of uh, a blessing that is rooted in the heavenlies. Here we have something that is spiritual. Yeah, where. For some reason, God is making this known to, would you say, his enemies? Like his spiritual enemies? Yeah. Who are these people in the heavenly places that you read here? The the, the rulers and authorities, are these like demonic things that God is just showing his grace and unfolding? Yeah. I, I believe so. And, and and it makes sense. I mean, when I think about Job, what, what, when it talks about angelic beings coming before the presence of God and among them is, is, is Satan himself, you know? So, yeah, I, I can see this very well play out into that. Mm. I like that moment because in Job, you know, Paul, or God says to, to, to Satan, he, we picture him pulling out his wallet and his little, back when we had wallet pictures, <laughs> maybe he pulled out his iPhone and he's finding the, the, the file with the photos. He says, have you considered my servant Job? Yeah. Look at this guy. Yeah. And he's just bragging about him again. Yeah. Like, look at this guy. So we have this idea that God, his plan is is a cosmic plan. Yes. Like there's something about this, even about the here and now on this earth, that as God saves Gentiles, as God brings these Gentiles, unworthy though they be, to give them the grace, mm-hmm. which no one ever deserves, yeah. for God to, to breathe life into a dead corpse. You know, that we learned yes. in Ephesians 2. For God to choose before the creation of the world from Ephesians 1, to do this great plan of his, that this is even God flexing in the cosmic. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, it's yeah. mind-blowing when you think about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the thing that, the picture that comes to my mind is I think of the movie uh, Clash of the Titans where you have the the, <laughs> uh, the Greek pantheon of gods up there discussing us mere mortals, you know? Right? Yeah. So now all of this is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah. What in the world? What's the eternal purpose of verse 11? I think this goes back to chapter 1, verses uh, 3 to 5, where the eternal purpose goes back as far back as before creation itself. God chose us to be saved, to be adopted as sons, and to become like Jesus. 
before yeah. creation. And I think one of the big things that, that, that you love to emphasize, and I'm like all on board with it, is nothing God does is an afterthought. It, there is no plan B. And, you know, I want our listeners to take that away. I know that the class version that I teach, they hear that a lot. You know, and I want to kind of re reiterate that and, and reemphasize that. There is no plan B here. This is God's plan before creation. And if you think about what, what, what Professor D just said, that tells us that Christ Jesus, so even though it might have just been God the Son, before the Word mm-hmm. actually became flesh yeah. in John 1, then as Adam and Eve were in the garden, because this is before creation, mm-hmm. you and I were planned for God to save us. Like God yeah. had planned to save you and I. Yeah. So that means that salvation was on the table. That yeah. means sin had to be paid for before sin even technically existed yeah. in the garden. Yeah. So... We can read Genesis 2 and 3 then. We can understand that the whole temptation in the garden, the fall of man and the serpent mm-hmm. and, the, and the fruit, all of a sudden, wow, God has no plan B. Mm-hmm. God had planned. Part of God's decree was to save unworthy sinners. If we take Ephesians 1 at face value, before there was a tree with a forbidden fruit, yeah. God had already planned to save you and me yeah. because before the creation of anything. Yeah. Wow. So so when it says here his eternal plan, I like that you pointed that out, Mick. His eternal purpose, eternity goes in two directions. Yeah. And we don't know how much of eternity was before Genesis 1-1, just in the beginning. Yeah. Like, however far back in time that was, in that beginning there was an eternal purpose that fully and finally got realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. That's just mind-blowing to think about it. Yeah. If you just pause and think about that, it's just mind-blowing. So... And then we have boldness now and access with confidence through our faith in him. That's great. It's, it's, the author of Hebrews, I know, talks about that mm-hmm. as well. We mm-hmm. can come boldly before him. Yeah. This, we don't need a mediator. Mm-hmm. We don't need someone to pray for us. We can go before God boldly because Jesus... As his children. Yes. Just like a kid can go before dad and just say, Dad, I got something to ask of you. And it, Going back to Galatians 4, 6, like you mentioned earlier. That's right. We get to call him... It's one of the luxuries of Jesus' salvation for us is we get to call him Abba Father. Right. It's like Jesus is allowing us to call God the Father with the same intimacy that he can. Yeah. And and that's it doesn't sound right, but oh well. He's the one saying, come on in. It's, so It's only right because he made it right. He made it right. He made it right, not because of us. So yeah, you're right to think it, it doesn't sound right. He made it right. So. And it didn't sound right to the Pharisee. That's, no. that's why they well, wanted to kill it. Yeah, that's right. That's he, why he, I and the said, Father. Why do you want to stone me? Yeah. Yeah. Of which of the bad things I did do you want to stone me? Which yeah. symbol, well, it's not because I of that. I lost track. Which one? Yeah. It, it's not because of the things you did. You didn't sin, but because you dared to equate yourself with the Father. Yeah. So in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart for, over the suffering I've got for you. Let's tie this to verse 1 to now he's a prisoner. So now in verse yeah. 13, he's suffering. Yeah. And what, what's, what's, if we take those two together, sure. what's, what's Paul's concern? Well, here's what Paul didn't want happening is he didn't want them becoming discouraged because of his current circumstances. In fact, uh, in Philippians, which he, we, we believe he wrote around this time as well, and, and specifically in, in Philippians 1, 12, and 13, Paul tells of how his current circumstances in prison were actually serving to spread the gospel. Wow. Especially... And this is a, this is key here, especially among the Roman soldiers. Because think about it: who would have access and not have to worry about getting arrested or persecuted themselves? Roman soldiers. Mm. So Roman soldiers, the fact that they were responding to the gospel, and this is one of the huge advantages of. I mean, I hate to think of anybody being in a, in a dire situation like that, but on 
you know, but on the upshot, Roman soldiers were, were starting to make a difference in the kingdom. And, and this was huge. And, and historians have written about it. And I'm not talking about Christian historians. I'm talking about secular historians that the spread of Christianity was helped because of these Roman soldiers coming to, to Christ. Wow. So, yeah, it wasn't cool to be in prison on one level. But from the eternity perspective, it, it was a place to be. Wow. So Paul continues. He now, he now prays, yeah. which is... The context here is, hey, I'm suffering, yeah. but it's for your glory that I'm suffering. Okay, yeah. So he's suffering here, and in his suffering, he's praying. Mm-hmm. For this reason, this is going to be 14 and 19 here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And we don't know if those knees are shackled mm-hmm. with ankles and wrists. We don't know if they're... If, I don't know if we know exactly, at this point in the story... How restrained Paul is yeah. if bowing down required the guards next to him who were chained him also to bow down? I don't know. Yeah. We don't know if this was could have been more of a more leisurely because he wasn't maybe a flight risk. Right. I don't know. It certainly probably wasn't like the, the, the end of Acts, like the house arrest for right. two years in Rome. But for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of the glory he may grant you of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God now my friend that was a run on a sentence yeah my goodness except at this point i'm just not surprised it's not surprised paul is that that's his thing so wow so let's just kind of try to take this as it comes what's paul's point in verse 15 this from before the father from every family or yeah it could be translated uh fatherhood maybe in heaven and on earth his name i think the greek word is patria which is kind of like the father uh, father aspect um from every family on heaven on earth is named. What's that all about? Well, you know, kind of a crazy I'm, verse. Yeah, it is a crazy verse in, in to, trying to understand. Actually, I had to work on that one. Was uh, you know, on one sense, God is the Father of all creation. I don't think that's necessarily what it's talking about here. To be honest, I think that this refers to all the people who have been saved in all ages. The people who are in heaven who are saved because they were saved in the past. The people on earth who are being saved now. I think God, God is the father of all the... I think the emphasis that Paul's making here is that God is the father of everyone who has been saved, whether in the Old Testament mm-hmm. or New Testament or post-New Testament, which is us. You know, um, and, you know, it doesn't matter what point in history, and, and which is why those who are, that are in heaven call him God Father and why we here on earth call him God Father too. And he's describing the fact that we all get to call him God Father. We're all saved by the same God. Just, just not the God Father. Right, not the God Father. God <laughs> Father. So it almost sounds like you're saying that anyone who calls God, who can call him Father. Yeah, any, is, any, 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 from anyone. We're all in the same family, yeah. whether yeah. it's in, in heaven words, or on earth. Those guys that were saved in the Old Testament, equally as much God is their father as he is our father today. So there's unity there. Yeah. And, it's, and I think that that's kind of what he's really building. Again, it can be understood as father of creation, and I, I believe the NLT kind of interprets it that way. When when they write it, you know, and mm. you know, but I I think it's more the fact that he's the father of of, of everybody, regardless of when in history. Hmm. Nice. And Paul speaks about um, 
he's going to speak about riches and power. So mm-hmm. I kind of divided these up here. Riches yeah, and yes. power, rooted and established, grasp and no. Okay, so how did he pray for them regarding God's riches and power? Okay, as far as that, I think he, what he did is he prayed that believers be strengthened with, with the power um, through God's Spirit living within us. And again, this comes on the tail end of, of that some uh, Ephesian believers were being discouraged because of Paul's arrest and circumstances. So he's praying for them to, well, give them... Give him strength and power. And this kind of reminds me of uh, Acts chapter 4 when, when the church prayed for boldness after Peter and John reported the mm. threats hurled in their direction if they continued talking about Jesus. You know? Right. So, you know, whenever we're threatened, what we do is not curl up and, and crumble or, or ask God to shake the earth up. We ask God to, to embolden us and strengthen us instead to, to boldly declare the gospel. As boldly as we can come to Him in prayer, as the, just as boldly declare the gospel. And I love that because it's strengthening you through his spirit in your inner being. Yeah. So we like to think of the outside person being yeah. strengthened. You go, go find a trainer and you know yeah. go go do some crunches or something and lift some weights and you can get physically strong or go, you know, marathon training or yeah. something. You can get physically strong. And Paul does speak of discipline in terms yes. of Olympic style yeah. training images. So Paul that's in Paul's toolbox, but here He's realizing that in order for these Ephesian Christians to maintain their convictions, they need to be strengthened in their in their convictions. Yeah, they need to have their inner person. So we understand there's an outer person that we can see, and there's an inner person that nobody can yeah. see. Whether you call that your your soul, your spirit, You're right? But the, Jesus could see. Jesus understood yeah. what was going on in the heart. But you and I don't know what's going on in the heart, and right. so God is saying, "May you be strengthened in your inner person, like this." Part of you that the seed of all your convictions and motivations. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Where there's going to be where they're going to need strength the most. Yeah. Especially in the Roman world. Oh yeah. And that's just I love that. So so by God, the riches of God's glory, may you be strengthened with with power through His Spirit. Again, this is not our power; it's His yeah. power. And so then He talks about being rooted and established. What's going on here? I think the uh, the only thing one. You know, I said the only thing. The only one who can get us through anything in life is Jesus. That is why boldness and courage can, can only come from being in Jesus. And being in Jesus means being focused on Him. It, it means being connected to Him. It means being close to Him. It, it is the ultimate level of proximity in, in any relationship. To be in mm-hmm. is the ultimate level. And at the end of the day, there are only two relational outcomes. You're either in something or you're outside of something. Um, and I want to be in Christ. And the image of, of a root is that it, it is something that is deeply embedded in the ground, yeah. connected to the nutrients, and, and you know it's it's getting its sustenance, it's 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 growth power, and, and, and the roots have to go deeper; they'll dry out. Rooted in love, yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That that. Through faith, not through works. Yeah. So, so that's that's another Galatians connection there. Yeah. We're not we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Ephesians two, so no one can yeah. boast. Okay, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So you've got to be, so power in your inner being. So the inside you, so he can strengthen you there. He can strengthen your inside you, so that Christ may dwell in that inside you through mm-hmm. faith. So when you say Jesus is my Savior, He's my Lord. Well, you, I don't see him. I don't see him walking around with you. So it's an it's your inner person yeah. that's submitting to Jesus, 
And wow, that's where faith is beginning on your inside and yes. then flowing to your outside. So that very seat of your faith, the, the, the seat of your convictions and, and the inner you, that's where Christ dwells mm. uh, through his Holy Spirit, through faith, and now being rooted and grounded in love. So, so we're not surprised when the roots that, that, that feed all ministry in Christ are love of God and love of neighbor. So, yeah. when, so when, when Christ Jesus summarized the entire law of those two ideas, yeah. that's the very roots. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you loving your enemies? Are you loving the Lord your God? I mean, husbands, are you loving your wives as Christ yeah. loved the church? That's coming up in a couple chapters. Oh, yeah. I mean, here it is. And this is, these are the roots that we have, roots that love yeah. and roots that love sacrificially. And this is, this is great. This yeah. is, and, and let me just even going to put a little in between thing here. And when we started this class, actually, when you started this class, a long time ago, when, yeah, yeah, this was called staying rooted. Wow. That was the actual name of this class. It was called staying rooted. I believe it came from, I think it began with an original study of Ephesians that was done here at the No, it was actually Colossians. Colossians. Oh, yes. It was Colossians, and it was called Rooted. And then uh, after that series was over, you started the class, and it became Staying Rooted. Wow. I I mean, I still remember that. So it's not this verse. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, it reminded me of that as well. Wow. So that is, uh, so now Rooted and Established should be, it looks like, grounded here. And then he prays that they would would grasp and know, so may have strength to comprehend, in verse 18, Mm -hmm. with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses the knowledge that he may be filled. So to be able to grasp, what did he want them to grasp and know? Well, he wants, we we want to know, we want to know and we all want to understand the love of Jesus. Um, I, I like the illustration that was given that, you know, what we are is we are simply a thimble thrown into the ocean. So we can be filled with water, but there's so much more water out there, you know? So the more we know and the more we understand, the more we can appreciate the love of God, the more we can appreciate that grace, you know, the more we realize how, how sinful and sinners we are. And, and again, it, and it all kind of feed, feeds itself right there, you know, but, you know, this goes beyond trivial, merely book, uh, know-it-all you know, knowledge kind of thing. You know, it's it's far more than that. It, it it's about it's relational knowledge. It's knowing on a personal, intimate level. And what I'm what I'm gonna call it's, it's the real know. It's the difference between knowing about something and knowing something. Hmm. Every once in a while, my my kids, they they have the. The, the the cojones to say to their mother that their mother doesn't love them. They're trying to they're trying to manipulate. And I, and I, I, I my my opening line to them is, uh, yeah, outside of Jesus Himself, there's nobody that yeah. loves you like your mother loves you. Yeah. And if you only knew what she went through in labor and all, just I mean the emotional commitment a mother has. We just had Mother's Day, and and I did have to tell them. Don't ever say to your mother she doesn't love you because there's no one that loves you aside of Jesus himself as much as your mother does. That's what I'm getting here because we may not know what the the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. The, the, wow, how much that God just loves the love of Christ. I just can't even comprehend it. I don't even think we'll know it then. <laughs> But that we would have the strength to comprehend it. Yeah. Say, God, what I got to tell my kids, you have no idea, but I pray that you understand how much your mother loves you. 
I think that's what's going on here. Yeah. It's like you, you, you're not going to, you're going to need strength to comprehend what's really good, to, to be able to grasp hold of how much you are loved. I don't know what kind of love it took. You know, the for God so loved the world, John yeah. three sixteen kind of love. The same love where God breathed life into that dead yeah. person, his enemy of all things, in sin, that God, someone who is spiritually dead and God breathed life by grace you've been, I mean, I can't even imagine the, the but God from last chapter yeah. and how much love that was before the creation of the world. And Paul's inviting us to ponder and that we would have the strength to comprehend it, yeah. that we could know it. And I love that, though we did talk about a mystery being unfolded, yeah. that's not a mystery. Yeah. He wants everyone that belongs to Jesus to know how much they are loved. Yeah. Not guess, yep. not second guess, but to know and I love that. No child should have to guess what their that their parent loves them and how much their parent loves them. And this is encouraging words to uh, the Ephesian church. They needed to know this, and he and Paul's prayer is that they would know this to know this love of Christ that surpasses all. I like that. It's like it's what kind of like you mentioned. I want you to know it. Even though it surpasses all knowledge, yeah. but I still want you to know it. Yeah. I want you to strive. I, I want you I to want be you so to be secure. Intimately acquainted with it. Amen. Yeah. So for anyone out there who who would think that they could walk away from the faith, or they could tell God no, and they and you're worried about your sons or your daughters who may be prodigals, if they belong to Jesus, this is that you may know. Yeah. That this is how much God loves them. And if God has chosen them, if God has predestined them, if God has welcomed them into the family, yeah. they're not out choosing God. Because this is God's. This is what God's love does. Yep. God's love saves. Wow. So now verse 19. To know the love of Christ. Okay. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What in the world? What's, what's going on there? All right. So here's, here's where, where, where I'm going to go with it. So if I'm filled with junk food, it's going to show in my physique and my energy level and in my overall health. Okay, uh, it can't help but show. The same applies when it comes to God. To be filled by God means to be full of His love. Uh, so, so what does it mean to be full of His love? Well, I'm, I'm going to cheat and fast forward here a little bit to Ephesians five eighteen. So I'm at least I'm staying in the right book. Here. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. But but the reason I do that is because it's using the exact same word for filling there. You know, uh, I'm not going to get great because that's Scott's bag. Um, but there, the same term "filled" is used. And there, filled is contrasted with drunk. So to be drunk is to be under the control of something that is of your destructive appetites. But to be filled, on the other hand, is to be controlled by a life-giving God. Mm. To be under His influence and to actually produce His fruit. I love it. Yeah. And we're not surprised... We're not surprised when Jesus says to deny yourself. Now there's a vacuum. Now now you've denied. So now mm -hmm. what's going to replace that vacuum? Yeah. How about the fullness of God? Yeah. How, how about how about you pursue God? Yeah. How about you are filled by God? So there's a lot. This Christian life oh, yeah. is not about being empty. Yeah. It's about being full. Yeah. But it's about so Jesus says I've come to give you life to the full. This is not about emptying yourself. There are some kind of karmic philosophies out there that are all about oh I got to empty myself. I yeah. just I have to kind of I think the, I think the Buddha talked about something of like that. Like life is not about being empty. It's about being full. Look, here's the thing: the best lies work with an element of truth. Hmm. That's the problem. So there is a sense in which they got something, but but they're off the mark. So it's still wrong. So even in a, in, in a Galatian sense, where I have been crucified with Christ mm -hmm. and I no longer live, now that's empty. Yeah. So now 
he continues, but Christ lives, lives in me. In me. So yeah. now you're filled with the fullness of God. Yeah. So now you're not living this empty life or anything can come in and lead you hither and yon. No, you're filled with God. Yeah. You're filled with God's presence and that you, and it kind of goes back, power through your inner spirit that Christ may dwell. Yeah. If Christ is dwelling within you, you're filled with the fullness of God yeah. because Jesus was the fullness of God. And so he is now dwelling within you. And this is, wow. So this is not an empty life we're living. This no. is a life that is made possible because of the grace of God and the love of God. And now that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. I see purpose there. I see. Yeah. Well, in John 10, 10, Jesus talks about the abundant life. Mm. Another word for abundant is full, a life that is filled. Wow. So now we, we land the plane here with uh, a really nice benediction. This is it's not, I, I think this might be the only benediction because Paul uses a lot of great benedictions. Yeah. Romans has a good one. There's some really good benedictions in the Bible, but this is this, this might be the only benediction that's not in the final paragraph. Hmm. Like he, this is not chapter six. This right. is chapter three. Yeah, it's kind of like midway through. Yeah, yeah. it's like he just briefly pauses. <laughs> now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, which is pause. That's mind blowing. Yeah. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So how does Paul land the plane regarding God's power at work? Uh, well, for one thing, his power works within us. You kind of hinted at this earlier. And I think this is important because it's not about God changing our outer circumstances. God is doing something within us. Wow. As to the extent of God's power, you said it again. You're taking my. It's like you're looking at my, my laptop. It's mind blowing. Uh, Paul says that that we can't even begin to. Let, let's. Just, I'm not even going to waste my time with, with anything we can ask. We can't even imagine the extent of what God can do. So two pictures come to mind when when, when I think about this. One from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. When Daniel's three buddies, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were threatened to being thrown into the fire by good old Nebuchadnezzar, there there was no question. And they said it, that God could save us. It was just really a question if God would save us. But they didn't doubt that God could save them. They were definitely not expecting. Talk about what they, did, they weren't imagining God to do at that point. They, they literally thought, to borrow your phraseology, that they were going to be crispy critters. <laughs> um, which we all know that in the particular case, he did save them. So, we, so, so to be clear, God rarely changes circumstances in the here and now because... 99.9% of the time, he, he he chooses to use those circumstances to produce character in us instead. Wow. You know, this is where James talks about, you know, consider it joy when you go through trials of, of various kinds. And I'm like, no, thank you, James, but okay, you're right. And in the case of Lazarus' death, and, I'm, and we're not talking about the rich man Lazarus, but, you know, about Mary and Martha's brother, you know, where the expectations was that, you know, just for a mere healing, you know, they were just hoping for a healing. And right. instead... You know, they didn't even think about asking Jesus to resurrect him. They weren't. Right. They, they were like, we just wanted you to heal him. You didn't make it on time for the healing. Just come and watch the funeral. They didn't even think to ask him, to, hey, can you get him out of there right now? They didn't even think to ask that. Wow. Jesus gave them a resurrection instead. And, and God's power uh, displays also have to do with, with what brings him the most glory. And we, we've hit on this so many times. And it, it's always a worthwhile point. To, to hit on because we need to remember that. And, and he knows that best. 
So how does that sum up history? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. How does that closing verse 21 well, sum up history? Yeah, the church is all about the glory of God. I mean, the church doesn't exist for any other reason but the glory of God. Because of the glory of God and for the glory of God. The church exists for that glory. And this all happens because of Jesus. The, the, this glory that the church has received, this wow. glory that the church is for, it's all because of Jesus Christ. To make him more weighty, to make him more exalted. Like mm -hmm. this this is the one we're we're here for. Yeah. This is yeah. Wow. Through all generations, forever and ever. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is a this is actually a really great chapter. It it really is. I mean, honestly, it's just hard to follow up to Ephesians chapter two. But in and of itself, this is still a great chapter. Wow. There's so much there's so much here for the individual Christian that now that you are saved. Now that you are, now that you've already experienced the but God and and the mm, your, the, yeah. cor your, the the corpse you were spiritually in the morgue, and now life has been breathed into you, and so now by grace you've been saved and created to do these works that are prepared in advance for you to do, and so now it's like you're you're now stay rooted. Yeah. There's something about this, and so so Professor D, how do, what are your closing thoughts? How do you land the plane today? My. My heart always goes to, I'm going to go to verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which, which is your glory. I, I need reminders like that. You know, there's a lot of challenges that, that I face, and I'm sure a lot of other people face too. In fact, there's probably, I'm sure there were people facing greater challenges than I'm facing. And I, I feel the need for this kind of an encouragement. And I, I got to believe that this is a more universal need in the church than, than, than little old me, you know? Um, and, and I always see that. I mean, I'm always drawn to words suffering whenever the Bible... That's why I love uh, when we did our series on Peter. Because Peter really kind of goes there. Hmm. You know, so the fact that he's like telling us, I don't want you to lose heart here, man. You know, we're trying to build unity. We're, we, we're, we're doing all... God is doing all this. We're in Christ. And I don't want you to get derailed because of my, my circumstances at the moment. Or your circumstances at the moment. Don't get derailed. Remember all this good stuff we're talking about. Amen. Well, where I go, I'm I'm, I'm the biblical counselor here, so you you know that I'm my, my currency where the where I where I where I go most often. The strength of biblical counseling is the inner person, mm. and w biblical counseling it goes to the heart, and we we deal with heart issues and inner person issues. And so when I hear him in verse, or read him in verse sixteen being strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner person, your inner mm -hmm. being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So I would then ask our listeners, what would that look like in your life? If Christ was dwelling in your hearts, that would lead you to start something and stop something. There is something about you that would you would change. If mm -hmm. Christ is dwelling, if Christ is, he's not just living there, he's reigning there. There's This is, you're grounded in his love. You're not grounded in yourself. So what would be changing about you and what would be, there's something about this old person that the old you shouldn't be the current you and the new you should, the new you in Christ should be the current you. So what's being different about your inner, inner person right now? How is God working within you? And I love how it ends here with, there's a power at work within us. And so Maybe God's calling you to forgive somebody and God is doing mm. a great work inside of you right now to be able to show that power in forgiveness or to show grace to somebody. 
Maybe God's calling you to really show patience. In fact, there might be some of our listeners that that might complain about uh, a spouse they may have or a friend they may have that really tests them. And I challenge you, maybe God brought that person that that tests your patience into your life to grow patience on your tree from a fruit of the Spirit standpoint. So pay attention to what God is doing within you as you read God's Word, as you listen to sermons, maybe as you're even listening to this podcast. What's God saying? What, how is God working in your inner person? In fact, as, as Professor D mentioned suffering, and we sometimes go through hard seasons, I don't like to say, what is God trying to teach me during this season? Because that kind of makes God sound a little less sovereign. I like to put it this way. What is God expecting me to learn during this season? Mm-hmm. So that's at work in my inner person, that God teaches and God grows. He starts in the inner person. So that power is at work. And that's what we get in our chapter today. This reminder of the inner person where Christ dwells and where he transforms. That idea we learn in Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Really the renewal of your inner person. Yeah. And so that is the, that's where I land the plane. What a chapter, my friend. Yeah. And this has been Masterclass Theology. And from Ephesians chapter 3, as always, I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. We'll catch you next week. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode. And I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.